0: I wonder what this music means. <laughs> yeah. Well you know, if you've been listening to the Library of Sound for a while now, you know one of our favorite features is Gene Shepherd. Listening to Gene Shepherd weave his stories, it puts you into sort of a magical spell. He is a master at storytelling, and tonight. We have a, or today, whenever you're listening, we have a show that I originally recorded on May 4th, 1977, but, yeah, I recorded this on an FM radio station on that date, but this show was actually originally done on September 9th, 1971, when Gene Shepard first did the show on WOR Radio uh, Live in 1971. But uh, for some reason, uh, uh, they didn't play it as a repeat until May 4th, 1977. And that's when I was tape-side with my handy-dandy Craig 212 tape recorder. Actually, by this time, I had a cassette recorder. My Craig 212 was my very first recorder. That was a reel-to-reel portable tape recorder. Uh, But I did have a Craig cassette tape recorder at this time. If my memory serves me, and I'm sure it does. Anyway, from May 4th, 1977, here is a Gene Shepherd story where he talks about Dracula and being in vampire country. Oh, this is kind of a scary one. Oh, Gene, oh, I, I gotta get ready to hear this. Actually, it's not scary. It's a good show. From Gene Shepard, May 4th, 1977. Let's listen now to Shep. Uh,
1: Tonight is a special uh, confession night, and uh, we're here to uh, make some abject confessions and uh, have other fun and games, which I'm sure that all of you will enjoy. (laughs) That's right, George. George. And uh, also, by way of a disclaimer, that uh, tonight's show has uh, sinister overtones, which uh, may prove to be offensive, if not downright disturbing, to many of you deep-type thinkers out there. So we'd like to suggest you move down to the other spot on the dial where they're doing something a little more uh, in keeping with uh, your uh, heavy intellectual attainments. I <laughs> don't want to offend anybody here. Bring it up, big gun, uh, There you go. There you go. Very good. Uh, listen... I'm uh, still, uh, you know, I'm I'm still kind of nervous because of what happened the other night. And uh you mean you don't know what happened the other night? It was a bad scene. I I uh, I was in this place. I was uh, traveling around, you know, and I was in this motel. And uh, I uh, I rarely turn on television sets when I'm traveling. To me, I like to get away from it. You know, I rarely turn them on. In, uh, in motels, and I turn on this television set. And it goes <makes noise> you know how those sets go, and the, the picture flops over about 28 times, and suddenly it stops. I'm looking at it. Oh my God! No, out of my ancient past, Count Dracula. I'm looking at Dracula. Now. I want to tell you something about this Dracula bit. I I, uh, I was affected very heavily at the age of about nine by watching Dracula, and and I, I don't really I can't honestly tell you that I that I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm ever scared by a by a uh, horror movie, but horror movies to me have a peculiar fascination uh, because of you know the way they do things. Some some movies can be. Uh, have a, you know, one moment that's fantastically horrible. Well, Dracula uh, is one of the great classic horror figures of all time. And uh, this character exists, uh, you know, just a, when you say Dracula, everybody knows who Dracula is. Do you know You know the guy that played Dracula, Bela Lugosi, the famous uh, Hungarian, I guess he was Hungarian or Romanian, but famous actor, that when he died a few years ago he specified in his will that he'd be buried in the full insignia and regalia, and the the uh, the cape of Count Dracula, and uh, <laughs> that's going to be fascinating for some anthropologist about 105,000 years from now when they dig that up. See <laughs> sure, what the hell that is, and uh, he has this cross and all that business, and uh, and I, I of course at that point the, when I first saw Count Dracula, I. Uh, I was heavily influenced by, by that because we had a lot of bats in our neighborhood now uh, a lot of people never see bats a bat is a theory to most people but if you live in a neighborhood where they actually have bats i mean flying around bats you tend to think maybe there is something to this dracula scene in fact when i was in the amazon you know they have vampire bats there now uh, every time you see dracula you, see, you know those bats that fly in and out of dracula those big vampire bats big huge things well that bat is not really the, the the vampire bat. The the big ones that they show in these horror mysteries really are fruit bats. They don't do anything except eat peaches. <laughs> I mean, those big bats. They eat peaches and they look horrible. Oh, they're bad news. the The real vampire bat is about the size of a mouse, or smaller, and they're they're really deadly. In fact, in in the Amazon, the the vampire bat, uh, you had to sleep in a special kind of uh, Mosquito netting and that to keep the bats out, and the way the vampire bat works in in uh, the Amazon. In fact, they had the chickens. When I was with this tribe of headhunters, they keep the chickens in a special little teepee. It was like a little tiny A-frame made out of uh, logs that was especially built to keep bats out. And these guys would build these things up on little stilts, and the bats would supposedly stay away from the chickens. But but a, but a group of vampire bats can kill every chicken within miles and all the kids too. You know how they do it. You know how a vampire bat works. Don't you know how they work? Well, what happens is you're asleep. They always get you in your sleep. And uh, the, the bat comes sneaking up on you, and he bites you. He may just fly right over, and he'll bite like your ear or your nose or your toe, some exposed part. They generally go for your ear, your nose, your toe, primarily the tip of your nose, curiously enough, because of, uh, the, because of a lot of biological reasons. But anyway, he just goes nip like that. And as he does so, he makes these two little punctures, just like a little hole uh, in your skin, and as he does, he injects an anticoagulant in your nose, which means that the, the uh, blood isn't going to coagulate, and you start to bleed in your sleep, and it's very painless. The blood just runs down and dribbles all over the place, and you're just laying there bleeding to death, and all the other bats then show up. About five million bats show up, and they gather around this pool of blood. And they drink the blood. And the next morning they find you, uh, and there you are, drained as, you know, you're drained as dry as a gourd. That's it. And old Charlie's been sucked dry. And uh, <laughs> it's an evil thought, but that's what, what, a, what a bat does. Now, uh, the other day, now the only reason I bring this up, you know, I'm here I'm sitting in this motel, and on comes Count Dracula. Well, I thought about Dracula, see. And do you know, I discovered the other day, I'm sitting in a, in a, station and I've got this old newspaper. I'm looking at this thing waiting for somebody and I read that Count Dracula existed. He was not a myth. Count Dracula was real. Any of you have ever seen this terrible uh, scary movie? Uh, He was a real character. And uh, I read to you the bit and I and I took it out. Osgood Carruthers wrote this. He's a writer. Los Angeles Times Service and its headed Count Dracula was for real, and its dateline Braslav, Romania. Yes, Virginia, there was a Dracula. Can you imagine this guy? There really was a Dracula, or a reasonable facsimile. And to the inhabitants of these brooding mountains of Transylvania, he was a good guy a bit ruthless, but the good guy, who protected the forebears of present-day Romanians against the Turks, the Hungarians, and Germanic tribes. Incidentally, I had been in that part of the world. And I want to tell you this, you can understand how people, I think, I think literature springs out of, of the physical surroundings of people, even if they don't consciously write about the physical surroundings. If you've ever seen the mountains of that part of the world, it's a strange thing about them. They're, they're not high, craggy mountains of the kind like, say, the Rockies. They're kind of strange, rolling, wooded hills, mountains, and it's the, the sky is gray a great deal of the time there for some reason or other. Every time I've seen it, it's gray, and there's great, great, fantastic uh, uh, forests there. And there is a curious, spooky, brooding quality. In fact, I remember uh, feeling that same feeling Uh, was one night driving a car. Have you ever been in a place that in itself is spooky? Uh, Driving a car between Innsbruck and Munich over the uh, Tyrol there, the Alps. And I was in this little tiny car, a little German car, and driving through these little villages, and this is the heart of the Black Forest region, and driving along. And by God, I wasn't driving more than like 20 minutes, and I I was not only believing in elves, and gnomes i was seeing elves and gnomes <laughs> it's scary and then i had this 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 insane moment when i'm driving it's about midnight see and i'm, I'm approaching this little town now the woods were absolutely stygian black on both sides of me and the mountains stretched up on both sides and went right to the world's ceiling just up and there was nothing but blackness real blackness and these, these uh, if you've ever seen the Black Forest, you know why they call them the Black Forest. It really is black. And I'm putting along in this little car, not a soul anywhere around me. It was in late fall, and the fall age had changed, and all the tourists were gone, and there was nothing except blackness, this one little road. And this car was driven by a chickshaver motor, roughly. It couldn't go anywhere. The Little thing, it's about 5,000 miles to a gallon of gas but that's because it didn't do anything, and and it it hardly moved. Flat out, flat out, I'd get maybe 17, 18 miles an hour, you know, and it had two little candles for its lights in the front, and I'm driving along, ice cold, oh, is it cold in this car. No radio, nothing. The two little seats were like uh, made out of uh, uh, canvas slings, and I'm going through the black forest all by myself, And and I see nothing but blackness all around me, these two little yellow lights, which I have out in front of me, are lighting up the space of the road, maybe six or seven feet, just ahead of me. That's it. Well, I'm coming into a town. Now, I only know there's a town there because I know it's on the map, and I also saw a sign in German that said I was approaching Mittenwald, which means middle of the forest. Mitten, middle of the forest. Mittelwald. Yeah. And I'm drifting along, you know, on this road. I guess everybody in this time, you know, it's it's a. Uh, I don't know. I I I, uh, I think that only man uh, is capable of that kind of fear. I don't think animals, walking around, ever look in the forest and see fear. Well, I'm driving along this this road, and when this moment happened, I, this this is a this is a moment I'll never forget, because I was kind of on edge. It was late, and I had gotten a late start from from uh, Innsbruck. Now Innsbruck, if you have a map, uh, you can take a look at it. Innsbruck lies just on the other side of the mountains from Munich and uh, between Innsbruck and Munich rise these great uh, Alps and there's a pass that goes between the two and you drive literally through the mountains to get to Munich which lies on the other side of the mountains and it lies down on a kind of plain. And Innsbruck is a a spooky kind of city anyway. It's a medieval city. It has arched uh, uh, walkways. You walk along a, a narrow cobblestone walk, and it has these arches. And, and during the, uh, I guess, during the uh, tourist season, it's a great place, you know. Everybody digs it. But when in the off season, it has a certain mysterious black uh, brooding quality. It's a strange place. And the people look at you with an odd look, I, went, I remember going into this hotel, and it had this fantastic room. It's, a, it's like out of an old uh, uh, David Niven movie, this uh, old hotel with uh, this strange decor, great hanging chandeliers, and these waiters with black suits came around. And we're, we're not used to that kind of thing in America very often, it's, just a, it's a very different kind of way of doing things, and all around me, seated at uh, respectable distances. Were uh, sort of sinister-looking elderly ladies with doolaps. who uh, doulaps. Don't you know what a doolap is? That's a jowl. In case you're interested, this is a hanging jowl. You don't know what a jowl is? How the hell did you get your job? <laughs> but uh, it's these women look like powdered basset hounds, sitting sitting uh, at at respectful distances, saying nothing to each other and being served by waiters who apparently had been serving them for 500 years. It had a certain timeless quality. And uh, there was silver uh, salvers and and trays, and they were pushing things around in little carts with with, uh, silver-spoked wheels and and bringing out the strange-looking bottles of wine with dust on them. And up on the stage were these three elderly men playing violins. One guy was, well actually they weren't all three playing, two of them were playing violins and the middle one was playing what looked like a clarinet. And uh, it was this this Europa, middle Europa world. And they're playing along, they're playing waltzes and things. And it was a huge place, roughly the size of Lincoln Center. And there must have been ten of us eating at great spaces. We were space, spaced out, it was like last year at Marienbad. And uh... This is a movie, and uh, I have to keep giving you footnotes so you're not totally confused. And so I'm sitting in this place feeling like some kind of an oaf because uh, I had just dropped in. There was only a little sign outside that uh, that said uh, in German, or in uh, Austrian really, it just said uh, restaurant. And so I went in. I was hungry, and I found myself in this thing. And these ladies all looked, and I could see that nobody spoke any known language. They spoke some kind of, well, apparently some kind of a, of a uh, barbaric version of a romantic, gypsy language. And uh, the guy starts to play a, uh, a peculiar kind of march, it sounds a little bit like some kind of funeral march. And uh, the waiter comes over and he says uh, something in uh, in German, and I tried to talk to him in English. I said, uh, may I see the menu? And he says, "Yeah, uh, yeah, ja, ja, das ist ein menu. And he brings me the menu, grudgingly as if I had intruded into this secret rite that was about to, to uh, begin. And so I looked at the menu and it's completely, uh, completely well it wasn't really just German, it was also in a strange kind of script. Because I can get my way through German alright, uh, especially in the eating department, but this was, uh, it was written out in purple ink. And, uh, yes, um, that's one of my basic uh, advices to you. Stay away from restaurants that write out their menus in purple ink in longhand. You're going to get shucked like a ear of corn, friend. They'll peel you and (laughs) and leave you off to dry. So uh, I looked down this this menu, and uh, I couldn't really recognize anything. And I realized that he wasn't about to tell me what any of this stuff was. And so without the... Without any, you know, you got to plunge in. You got to eat something, and I knew that, that, that no matter what I ordered, it was something to eat. See, so I pointed to this, and his eyebrows raised. I says, uh, "Does this, yeah, uh, this ja. yeah?" Uh, ja, ja. And he says, "I ya yavo," and I could see his eyes sort of glimmer. It's the first time anybody's ordered turtle heads in a long time, you know, and so uh, uh, <laughs> he goes, he goes scuttling off. And I see a couple of waiters in the corner talking and looking over in my direction. Incidentally, uh, one of my favorite writers of all time is a guy, a late writer who died a few years ago, named Ludwig Bemelmans, who wrote about this kind of world. He wrote a great series, particularly a book called Hotel Splendide, which is of this European strange world. It's the kind of world you can imagine an infinite number of greater garbos have come for their parsley salad and uh, And sit mysteriously brooding upon a a spectacular past with a countess and a and a Romanian nobleman of uncertain lineage and so I sat in this place, and I waited for him to bring it to me, and he brought me this couple of couple of dishes that were covered with with uh, silver covers, and he had a towel over his his arm and he very with a big sweep. He goes, ah, yeah, and he takes the tops off and he puts it down and here's this strange looking stuff which uh, had a curious milky quality to it. It had a kind of a white milky sauce and it was lukewarm. It wasn't hot, it wasn't cold, it was oddly lukewarm apparently, which is exactly the way you should have turtle eggs or turtle heads or, or uh, gopher livers or whatever it was that I was eating. And so I start to eat this thing and the uh, and uh, I, I, was, I knew, of course, immediately that I was in the presence of an alien society. This was not the kind of thing that people would eat. These are people that are vaguely preserved from an ancient age. So uh, nevertheless, I, I bludgeoned my way through it, and finally I got up to leave, and I, I paid them in the strange local currency, which looks exactly like the kind of stuff that Count Dracula would have used, and has names like that, like kopek and Zlotnik, And so I'm paying off, and the peasants are dancing in the streets when I go out there. There's always townsmen and peasants in places like that. They really exist, little peaked hats, and they scurry around and carry shopping bags full of bones and stuff. And so I I got into my car, and I took off. And uh, I went. this is one of the strangest travel shows you've ever heard. And you know, one of the things that most people don't know about uh, or never talk about, I never see it mentioned much, is the curious kind of loneliness that besets a traveler. It is a very special kind of loneliness. Uh, Marco Polo talked about it and uh, it's a curious type it's uh, that is what makes me believe that ultimately no genuine peace is ever going to come to man because because we are what we are and uh, we are a herd creature and once we're among the other herds, we feel out of place, and incidentally, the other herd feels vaguely resentful of you, always this way. Tourists have always been resented by the local people, no matter where they are. And uh, so I'm driving out through the town, and and it was beginning to snow, and it was snowing kind of hard, big white flakes coming down, and I couldn't really see the mountains. The mountains are are just brooding over you. In Innsbruck, uh, this town has been dropped This great uh, craggy mountains. These are real mountains. This is a great skiing country in that. But that was all over. This was not the scene now. It's like if you can imagine going to Jones Beach in the middle of January. It's definitely off season. And it and it's reverted to its own nature, which is which is uh, genuinely dangerous. And so I get in this car and oh is it getting cold and the temperature was dropping. And I, I knew I had to get to this town. I was gone my way to Munich which by real automobile is about three miles. But by this roller skate that I'm driving, it's a, you know, who knows? I, I should have said three, did I say three miles? I meant three hours. It's about three hours from Innsbruck to Munich by genuine car. But by uh, this thing that I was driving, God knows how long, I had to get out every once in a while and wind up the rubber band in it, you know? And it, and it was a little tiny thing. And so the wind is blowing. You know, the the Germans have specialized. They did after the war. They specialize in making odd little automobiles, like the Messerschmitt. You ever seen the Messerschmitt, the little three-wheel car that's built just like a Messerschmitt? Has a little plexiglass bubble. It's got about a two and a half horsepower engine in the back end there, and it's three wheels. The Lloyd, another strange little car, the Gogomobile, and a few others of that type. So I'm driving along in this little car, going up, and you could feel the temperature changing as you went up into the mountains. And it's getting icy cold. Gee, I'm, I'm really freezing. This has got a heater that couldn't have kept a hummingbird warm. And the little tiny heater there going away. And gasoline is pouring in from the back of it somewhere. I could smell the fumes. And the mountain is rising up straight on either side of me like, like a giant black cliffs. And it is really getting dark now. And by the time I, I was out of Innsbruck, about two, maybe three hours, it is so black. I mean so black. And when you get into the middle of the black forest, in the mountains, I mean there's not a light. I mean it is black. This, the moon can't even get down into that. And, and you have this feeling that you are now tasting hell. And the cars were you know, putting along there. And, and the one moment happened to me. that uh, that kind of made up and pointed up and and, uh, even created another layer of loneliness. As I'm driving, nothing but blackness around me, the feeling that this road is endless and I'll never, that actually I've died and I'm in some terrible, you know, I'm paying now for my sins and and, uh, blackness is coming at me and my two little yellow light bulbs are, are struggling, like two little candles. And I can see about three, maybe four feet ahead of the car, this dim yellow light. And the, 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 we started to go uphill. When I say we, me and this crummy little car, we're struggling uphill and the car is barely making it. <laughs> and, and I figure, what am I going to do if I'm, you know, if this thing poops out on me, I, I, I'm, you know, never, I'll never get out of here. And, and who knows what's in those weeds and those woods. We know weeds are just black woods all around me. The, the black forest is about 500 foot high trees. And incidentally, this forest, in case you're curious, is a virgin forest. It's, it goes back to the dark ages and is protected and uh, here are these trees, they look like a 500 feet high. You just see these great trunks and blacknesses. And believe me, at that point, I am genuinely seeing elves. I can see gnomes. And so I, I, I make it up over a hill, and I'm now on the straight. And I pass a little tiny sign that's buried among the rocks. My little lights picked it up. And it tells me that I am approaching Mittenwald, which is middle of the forest and uh, Mittenwald, and it says two kilometers, 2 km. Well, I'm gonna be in a town anyway, when all of a sudden it happened. It's nothing. I see in the headlights, I see two eyes, tremendous eyes, directly ahead of me. I mean, they, I, they were red. I mean, they were just glowing out of the darkness. Well, I, they were directly ahead of me. Whatever it was, I'm gonna hit, and they were huge eyes. Well, I stop, which wasn't much of a trick with this car, you know, just stick your foot out and drag it a little bit, and I stop, and these two eyes are looking at me. And there I am in the middle of the black forest, the shades of Dracula, all of it, hanging over me. And I see this eye, these big ones, big, big eyes, just sort of hanging about, look like 20 feet off the ground. It starts to move whatever it was, was moving a little to the left. (laughs) And I'm sitting scrunched down in the car and figuring, should I put this damn thing in reverse, Try to get out of here? Putting this thing in reverse is ridiculous, you know. Nothing's going to happen. So I'm just sitting and then I began to see it. The gloom. Standing right in the middle of the road, not more than seven or eight feet ahead of me, is the biggest, most evil, sinister that, well, there's no animal, we don't have an animal quite like it in America. Have you ever heard of a, of a red, well it's not a reindeer, a stag. Have you ever heard of, this, uh, of, of, the, uh, of the alpine stag, the giant Tyrolean stag? Here is this immense animal with a set of antlers that must have been 40 feet across. And his eyes were picking up the light from my two little yellow headlights. And it was a gigantic red stag. And he's just standing there looking at me. And there we were. He must have gone a good half ton. Tremendous animal. And he is red. They are red. You can see the the coat on him is a dark, sable red. Huge animal. And we just looked at each other for about two minutes, and I'm just sitting there sweating. Now what? I could just see the headlines back home. Shepherd gored by mad red stag in black forest. Lost. What the hell? This is a way to go, you know? And with that, the stag slowly turns, just kind of does a slow circling cartwheel, and now he is broadside to me. I've never seen an animal in my life like this. Tremendous. He went from one side of the road to the other, and then he turned all the way, and now his rear end is facing me, and he had the rear end, believe me, of a Sherman tank, and he slowly starts to trot down the middle of this cobblestone road. He's trotting away. Well, I put the car in gear, and I followed him. It's the only thing I could do, either that or sit in the darkness like a fool, and I wasn't going to, you know, try to go around them. I mean, he could have picked this car with one flick of his horn. I'd have been 17,000 miles down the gorge. So I drove right behind him, and he just walked, cluck, 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 cluck. I could hear his, he had hoofs. I could hear the hoofs going cluck, 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 cluck. He just started trotting, cluck, cluck. What a powerful animal. He looked like a, like, if you can imagine a moose that's taken to wine drinking. He's changed a bit, and he's going cluck. Look. and for a good half mile, I follow this enormous animal and then suddenly, without any warning, in fact, he did it, he did it like magic, it was just an amazing thing. I've never seen any animal do this. He disappeared. Just, he's gone. Just gone. He was right in my headlights. One minute and the next minute, he's gone. He's in the black forest somewhere, I hope, just gone. Then I really got scared. <laughs> He's going to come out, you know? And I, 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 I stepped on the gas. I'm, I throw this thing in a second. And I start to go, just start to pick up power, when suddenly I'm in the middle of Mittenwald. This little tiny place that looks like it's made of uh, ancient Germanic lanterns. And you can see little glowing lights and leaded windows and a church, a curious little square. And it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. And believe me, towns in the Tyro are shut up at 1 o'clock in the morning. There is nothing. When I got out of the car, I was so cold, and I walked down the middle of the street, you could hear your footsteps. And my footsteps are echoing from one end of the town to the other. And I had this sense, you know, that behind the windows, there were Santa's helpers somewhere, and they were making gingerbread men. And some place in the middle distance was the evil witch who was putting people into ovens, and that, that the rest, uh, what's his name, uh, the, the bearded Stilskin is preparing another outrage against mankind, and Bluebeard is somewhere off in, in that, that that house way up there in the hill. And it was at that point that I began to suspect that maybe there was a Dracula. Maybe there is a Dracula. There's a lot of things in this world, friend, that you haven't seen yet. I'm convinced of it because I know damn well there's a lot of things I haven't seen yet. And I can hear them hoofbeats. Was it the devil? Was it an actual animal? God knows. There you have it,
0: friends. Gene Shepard, Inside Gene Shepard, the radio show... Here on Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound. One of my original Gene Shepard tapes that I recorded on May 4th of 1977. And you know, I bet you that was a show I recorded when I was going to college. It was a junior college. You know, you go there for the first two years. And I remember recording Gene Shepard shows at night when I was taking night classes and I would go into a dark room that wasn't being occupied. I'd set my tape recorder up in that room, and I'd pay attention to the time. I believe Gene Shepard came on at 7 p.m., and when 7 p.m. was getting near, I'd run into that classroom, dark as it was, and I'd turn on my tape recorder, turn on the radio, and there you go, Gene Shepard was ready to go. I'd then return to my classroom and allow my tape recorder to do all the work. <laughs> Oh my, yeah, that shows you the length I went, the length I went to listen to Gene Shepard and to tape Gene Shepard. Little did I know, all these years later, I'd be playing them for you here on my podcast. We hope you enjoyed the Gene Shepard edition of Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound. That was from May 4th, 1977, Gene Shepard talking about Dracula and vampire country. All right, friends, until next time, I am your humble host saying so long for now. Goodbye, everybody.